Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Elixir 1.15.3 and .4 were released. So the .4 version includes some important fixes for those of us who want to be running Erlang OTP 26. And it also fixes a regression on 1.15 around umbrella projects. We have a link to the release in the show notes. And also just to touch on it, .3 was released. It had some additional enhancements and bug fixes. Nothing stood out quite as much. But be aware that that's there. And especially if you're wanting to try and play with OTP 26 and had any issues before, grab this release and give it a spin. Speaking of releases, Gleam 0.30 was also released. We haven't talked about Gleam for a while. As a reminder, it's a type-safe, scalable language for the Erlang VM and JavaScript runtime. There's two main changes here. There's local dependency improvements, being able to link to another Gleam project using a local path instead of pushing to a repository. And then some enhancements on the internals. It has to do with calling to other functions available on the runtime, either Elixir or Erlang functions or even JavaScript functions when compiled to JavaScript. And it looks like a thing called FFI, foreign function implementation, has been redesigned to improve how all of that works. Interop sounds like the big the big improvement here. All right, maybe the biggest news today is that Livebook 0.10 was released. So there's a whole YouTube video about it, big blog post. That's going to do a better job explaining all the things in depth more than we are, but we can hit some highlights. It's a major update, brings several new features. So we'll go through a couple of them here. First one being multi-session Livebook apps. This is probably the biggest feature. It builds upon the idea of Livebook apps, which was another recent release. And Livebook apps are single instance, meaning that when multiple people come to that page, they all share the same experience. I'm thinking something like Phoenix Presence, uh, everyone sees the same the same like activity what's, of what's going on there. But now, with multi-session support, it allows each person to have their their own instance of the app. And when you say instance here, I don't think this is multiple deployed instances. I think this is session instances for each each of those people. And they call this out to be an excellent fit for automating technical and business workflows. So you can think of something like scripts running in a terminal or something, but instead they're interactive web applications accessed through the browser, which makes sense. You don't want your script uh, scriptiness, you know, being something that other other employees, you know, that might be uh, accessing the same app as you uh, see. It's, it's not really relevant for them. It's a little bit noisy. So instead of repeatedly being asked to run one-off scripts, you can package that script up as an, as an app, first of all, a Livebook app, and make it accessible for other team members to run it at any time by themselves. All this to say is that last week we talked about admin tools, with Mr. Glassman and using Livebook like this can significantly lower the bar for creating, deploying, and sharing one of these kinds of admin tools for your team. So a uh, great feature. What I like about the live apps aspect is that you can hide away the environment variables and things like that so that who you're sharing it with doesn't have access to that. So it can still be like, this is able to talk directly to production, but I'm giving you a very trimmed down experience of what you can see and do so you can't write your own custom SQL query and, and drop tables or something. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will find a way. So I remember it being somewhat difficult to get this like into your main app in production, like to connect it. So you actually had access to, you know, like myapp.accounts.createUser user. So you could actually run useful scripts. I wonder if 
They've improved on that. I'd be curious to find out. I've done that locally for sure. I think deploying it probably wouldn't be that big of a lift. It'd be doing the same thing locally, right? At least what I saw years ago when I was playing with that is Livebook, when it connects up to another node instance, it would load certain modules into that other app so that it could have code to talk to on the other side. Depending on how you feel about your production environment, you might say that's a no-go right there. Or you're like, hey, with our app and what we're doing, that's totally fine. Interesting stuff. Yes. Yeah, I would imagine this being its own instance deployed somewhere, its own node, I guess. And you'd want it to be like uh, networked invisibly to your production node. That Lightbook app would still have like its own public interface or you know whatever VPN solution you got, but it's public to you. But invisible to like your production app, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we also wanted to touch on another feature in the Livebook 0.10 release, which was the presentation view. We talked about this a little bit previously. So this was done by a contribution. When you put a Livebook notebook into presentation view mode, it hides the sidebar and focuses on the parts of your notebook that you want to present on. So this avoids the whole problem of you're using Livebook to demonstrate something to your audience, but they can see the entire live book and they're like reading ahead and they're getting all distracted about everything that is in your notebook that you might talk about, but they're not listening to what you're talking about right now. So this helps keep the focus on what you're talking about and let people kind of walk through the process with you. So that's really cool. I think it'll be great for meetups, maybe even ElixirConf talks, but uh, yeah, it'll be something to try out. It looks like they also added initial Erlang support. So there's now the ability to write Erlang code with syntax highlighting. And it includes the ability for Elixir code to use that defined Erlang code. A cool little addition there. There's also live doc tests now. We know that doc tests have been part of Livebook since 0.8. But what's new here is that the code editor there now displays little indicators for passing and failing doc tests. So nifty. Fancy. Yeah, I think if you're wanting to use Livebook for education and teaching people Elixir, especially something that they don't even have to deploy locally, like you could host this for them, right? So they don't even have to set up their own Elixir environment. And then you're starting to walk them through writing tests and running tests. That's really a a cool use case there. And it looks like they also added data frame file export. So when you're working with the Explorer data frames, we're thinking spreadsheets, it now makes it easy to export that data into a few different file formats. And this makes it easier to share with others. So that's cool. So that rounds out some of the features that we saw in Livebook 0.10. Totally recommend checking out the blog post along with the YouTube videos that highlight and show, demonstrate the different features. So you can go check that out. We have a link to that in the show notes. But speaking of using Livebook, there's another project that got our attention. It's called Archaeometer. I'm just guessing on the pronunciation there. It's a library you can add to your Elixir app and run this mixed task to analyze and then visualize all this data about your project. And what was cool is that there's a new mixed task flag for a dash dash format LiveMD option, which creates a Livebook notebook as the output for the report. So that just makes visualization a whole lot easier and even shareable. So we recently learned about an alternative to Ecto Multi that sounds interesting and worth trying out. I actually tried it out in one of my repos recently. It's called repo.transact. It looks like the origin of this comes from Sasha Yurik. And where I learned about it was from a blog post that Tom Conidas wrote, where he described and gave some examples of how he used it. So quoting from Sasha, he said, this repo.transact is a small wrapper around repo.transaction. This function commits the transaction if the Lambda returns an OK tuple 
and it rolls it back if the lambda returns an error tuple. In both cases, the function returns the results of the lambda. We chose this over ecto multi because we've experimentally established that multi adds a lot of noise with no real benefits for our needs. So I feel like as I've been using this, even before I used this, when I used repo.transaction, I was always a little confused because it, it felt like it always returned something a little bit differently than how I felt. But when you use repo.transact and you wrap it with a with statement, it just feels like it was meant to be. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only way I can describe it. Like you use it exactly how you would expect, right? And you don't have to remember that repo.transaction takes an error, not an error tuple, but then it returns an error tuple. And so many times I've seen people put an error tuple in there and then you get a double error tuple returned because it's just... <laughs> It's not exactly what you would expect at first glance. And so repo.transaction, I feel like just it's just meant to be. It fits. And so <laughs> cool little tip. Yeah. What's funny is it's not even a library, right? Like this is just a single function that you can copy and paste into your project. Yeah. And Wojtek Mock says he doesn't know if it should replace repo.transaction. And it's just one of those things. He's just going to end up copying it into all of his projects. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, my repo file ends up with a bunch of functions too that I just consistently use. <laughs> yeah. I, I like I like the idea. Here here's where it can break down. Here's the here's the line where you might reconsider ecto multi. I, I generally agree with what everything they're saying that ecto multi is just like pretty big abstraction over what most people might need. But as soon as you need to compose these these transactions you know, like at, like merging them together and stuff like that, appending, prepending, that's where you're going to get ecto multi in there. That's going to be helpful again. But otherwise, if you just need like a this and then this and then this and then this kind of kind of condition, then yeah, transact sounds good. One of the things I liked about the transact is that with multi, you're kind of encouraged to return change sets using the transact approach. You're just like, okay tuple and like the result, which could be like a user struct or something like that. So you don't even have to touch change sets at that level. So it's more at the level that we kind of conceptually think about what we're doing in our code. It's cool. I haven't tried it out on my own project yet, but I'm looking forward to it. All right, moving on. Herman Valesco highlighted some new daytime comparison functions that were added to Elixir.115. So nice little short clips. He's been doing this for a little bit, uh, but the new functions are daytime.before question mark, and then after question mark. And then also the date counterparts and all that kind of stuff. So we already had datetime.compare, but basically the, the short version is don't ever use the equality operators like less than or double equals to compare dates and date times. Instead, just use the before and after new functions here, or you can do things like sort, you know, but use that like module. There, there's like a tuple with a module that you put in date time like that. It tells, you know, sort what module to use for, for sorting the, the struct of date. Anyway, there's lots of things here. Just remember, don't use the straight up operators less than, greater than, or, or double equals. Those don't quite work <laughs> for structs like this. And next up, there's a new library called DNS Cluster. This one's by Chris McCord. And the GitHub page describes it as simple DNS clustering for distributed Elixir nodes. So I think this is a good option for those cases where DNS is what we use to have our nodes find each other, and it could possibly replace libcluster for most use cases, I think. Libcluster supports a lot of other options too for different ways of clustering, like using Kubernetes or, or different things like that. But if it's a DNS-based one, this might be a good option. 
Apical 0.2.0 was released, which now supports plug-only apps. Previously, it required Phoenix. So Apical is an open API schema builder. If you're interested, we'll drop a link in the show notes. All right, next up, we got a cool blog post about implementing the network time protocol in Elixir. So NTP, as it's usually seen, pretty common for Linux systems to synchronize clocks over the network. So like the first time you boot your Ubuntu server, it's probably going to reach out to NTP and go grab the latest worldwide clock (laughs) and set your local machines. The blog post, yes, if you want to learn about NTP, pretty cool, but also a good value out of this blog post other than it's wonderfully written, it's a good explanation and walkthrough of an Elixir example implementing a binary protocol. NTP being network, so it is talking over the network, and then there's a protocol for how this stuff communicates. So just a really good example of lower-level kind of systems-oriented programming with Elixir. Very nice. Another cool blog post we wanted to mention, talking about implementing shell completions for mixed tasks. So this goes into talking about ZSH and bash shells. A common problem to avoid is the OTP startup time for dynamically listing mixed tasks. So this also goes into a caching solution. So that sounds pretty cool. I'm going to check that out. And last up, some of the presentations from the Gig City Elixir conference that was held in May are now available online. At the time of this recording, there are three presentations up and we've included a link to the playlist where you can see those online. I did hear some good things about one of them in particular, just drawing attention to how when we're doing forms and using inputs, how using the browser support for saying that a field is required or using browser support for errors actually is a better experience for people using assistive technology just because it's already built in to support that. Looks like there could be some great stuff to review. And if you didn't make that conference, it's a great way to catch up on some of those cool topics. And that's it for the news. Elixir and Phoenix are incredible. They make it possible to quickly build highly resilient and reliable systems capable of operating at incredible scale. Fly.io is a great place to host Elixir apps. You can deploy your app to multiple regions around the world with a private network linking them all together so your app can cluster and globally do some incredible Phoenix magic. Give your users a more responsive UI while writing less code and moving the app closer to your users without needing an ops team. Check out fly.io for your next Elixir app. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Steve Cohen. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you could join us because lately we've been talking a lot about Elixir tooling and we've talked about Next LS. And then we also learned about Lexical LS, which is also a language server. And we've talked about that a little bit, but we wanted to understand more about what Lexical LS is Because it is an Elixir language server intended to be a developer helping tool, right? Something that can plug into VS Code or other editors as well. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that and learning more about that with you. But first, I want to hear a little bit more about you. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? I live in San Francisco. Right now, I don't have a job. I've been kind of just working on Lexical for the last year. I'm lucky enough where I left my job in in May of last year and wanted to just take some time off and see what's out there. So I was working a little bit on Elixir stuff because I've loved the language for well over a decade now and just kind of fell into the, the language server development stuff. Originally from Ohio, I moved to the Bay Area in 2004 and I've worked in a number of places. I worked at a game company, a social network company called Bebo. Then I did a couple of my own startups. Then I worked at Pinterest for about a decade 
And then I worked at Discord for two years and wrapped it up with OpenSea last year. But don't don't judge me too harshly because of that. And yeah, since then I've been working on Lexical, also a contributor to uh, Elixir LS as well. So I have kind of a fair amount of grounding in the the language server space, and I really do enjoy writing tools for developers. That was my my job at Pinterest was I built their API and everybody, every single developer that ever wanted to make something on at Pinterest had to use that. So ergonomics are really important to me. Writing code that has high quality and is legible and well-tested, that, that's important to me. And I wanted to have a language server that sort of espouses those ideals. So it's really interesting that you've been with the Elixir language, you know, as an interest and a, a focus for a long time. Yeah, I started my first code that I ever deployed was at Pinterest using Elixir 0.12. I wrote a blog, blog post a long time ago for Pinterest that talked about Elixir. And the code that deployed, I think it was like in 2013, it's still running, basically unmodified. <laughs> it was really the first time that I had ever developed something that had to run at a certain amount of scale that worked the absolute first time with very few modifications. I think the, the, the biggest modification we had to make was the JSON parsers is well prior to uh, the current crop of parsers. Uh, it actually had a memory leak. It was a, a NIF and it had a slight memory leak. So it would run down the memory over the course of like weeks and then we'd need to restart it. But then we actually just found the memory leak, fixed it and uh, and, and resubmitted re, uh, it. Well, that's how you know you've made it. If you deploy something at high scale the first time it works, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the language, it's the programmer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yet... I, I always feel, feel like sometimes uh, thinking back to computer science school, like didn't it feel really uneasy if you actually wrote some homework and it just worked the first time? It just never felt quite right. You're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like, I must have something wrong here. There's an unseen bug. <laughs> I still feel that way. Like when my test passed, I'm like, hold on a second. Let me tweak something. Okay, it fails. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I trust yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate that feeling where you, you see them pass and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, definitely missed a case here. And you write another test. I'm like, there it is. <laughs> Oops. All right. Well, I would love to jump in and talk about Lexical LS. Like first, maybe you can just give us an introduction to like, what is Lexical LS? Like what is the, the whole project setting out to be? Sure. So Microsoft, surprisingly, in their in their wisdom, saw a problem with development and they wanted to release VS code, but they realized there's all this tooling that exists. And when you look at, at the landscape, there's all this knowledge that exists inside of editors about the programming languages that they're editing. So rather than having to rebuild all of this, they thought it'd be a great idea if you could just build a literal server that understands the language define a protocol to communicate with that server and have that server run on your computer. And then the editor, any editor can just speak the protocol and talk to that server and then immediately have insight into the programming languages. And that's what Lexical LS is. It is a language server, a literal server that runs on your computer and your editor connects to it and speaks JSON RPC as you would a, a web service and they communicate and you tell it Hey, here's a here's a document. And the document typically is a Elixir file or any any file in a programming language, and then the server takes the document, and then your editor will broadcast changes to the document. And as the document changes, things happen. 
like it gets compiled and then emit, warnings are emitted or errors are emitted or or suggestions for how to change the, the the code are emitted and that's sort of in a nutshell how language servers work and lexical is just one of these language servers and now there's there's one that exists and has existed for a very long time called elixir ls there's uh, next ls which is another very impressive piece of engineering and lexical is the third one and lexical's genesis was actually in the Elixir Discord server, which is a smaller community than Elixir Slack, but has really helpful people, very supportive. Uh, I, I suggest people try it out. There's also some really, really solid engineers there that you'll get more of their ear because it's it's a smaller focus community. But that's not kind of where Lexical lives right now. Uh, I, I am on Slack, but I'm not as responsive there. But it's getting to the point where pretty much anyone can download and try it now. We've got a link in the show notes for how you can use the Elixir invite to join the Discord there. So that's cool. I love that there are different communities, different kind of, I call them watering holes. It's where people just have different sensibilities or different cultures, just kind of coalesce. You know, like the group of people that hang around Elixir in LinkedIn is very different from the people on the subreddit of Elixir. It's just a different sort of culture. So you, you find the one that meshes best with you. So that's cool. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I'm on the Discord server because I work there. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I would love to talk a little bit more about Lexical, about like the goals of the project. And maybe just a, a little bit of a hint of like, where is it right now? Like, it sounds like you've been working on this for about a year, maybe. So maybe like, where is it at today? Like, is this something I can grab and, and start playing with? Yeah, it is. So where Lexical is today, it is a full-featured language server that implements the protocol. I have it working in Emacs. Other people are working with NVim and Vim. There is a full-featured downloadable plugin for VS Code. So that works completely. You search for Lexical in your, in your extensions. It will be there. Install it. It should be up and running. It has a lot of the features that you would expect from a language server. They're a little bit different. And this is where I think it, Lexical is different than like other language servers, there is more of a focus on getting a feature really feeling good in your hands rather than just a checkbox. So for example, I always find it frustrating when I have an ampersand in my code and then I type a module name and I hit dot and it gives me like all these functions and then it will complete the function and it'll have like parens and stuff. Like it has no idea that I'm in a function capture. Well, Lexical understands that you're in a function capture and will also let you just do the slash one, or it will understand that you're in a pipe and will omit the first parameter for you. So it's these kind of handholdy little nuances that I really want to get right before we actually ship more and more features. But I think the feature set is complete. It is the thing I use all the time when I'm coding. So I, I, I do not use Elixir LS anymore. That was a pretty big Rubicon to cross. It takes a lot of work to go from not having anything to actually having a language server that does anything useful at all. It's kind of like when you're building a language and you can finally compile the language with your language. Like it's a, it's a milestone. You've made it. You're using it. You're doing something big with it. Exactly. It's frustrating too, because language servers communicate over standard output and standard input. So there's like zero feedback if something doesn't work, why it isn't working, because it's all like in the bowels of your, your OS's standard input and standard output with two processes communicating. So like getting that one thing where it actually responds to a message is like, oh my God, I've done something. <laughs> it's amazing. My life, my life's uh, slightly better. Well, I like that you're 
tackling what you said, hand-holding, but I, I don't even know if it's hand-holding. It's like, I don't need someone's to hold my hand to like know that I'm in a capture and I need to put slash one. Like I know that it's more of like a new, it's kind of, it's annoying. Like if it puts parens when there's not supposed to be parens, it's almost like maybe it's table stakes. Maybe it's not, I don't know, but I think that that's nice. It's a different philosophy. I think it is thinking about how to make you more effective or honestly, like this is selfish. It's about how to make me more effective. And I feel like if you can solve ergonomic problems it really helps a lot of people. The fewer things you have to think about, the lower the cognitive load when you're building something, the more effective you'll be and you'll get to really enjoy a product. So checkboxes, it has what, that's what I call context-aware code completion. It has as-you-type compilation. And this is a feature that I think, I've never really tried next to LS, but this is a feature Elixir LS does not and cannot have. As I'm typing code, it will tell me immediately if something isn't going to compile. The other thing is uh, Lexical has a plugin architecture, and one of the plugins that is implemented right now is Credo. So if your project has Credo in it, you can actually just drop in a dev dependency of Lexical Credo, and now you have, as you type, Credo warnings and errors and suggestions popping into your editor. So could you talk about why that's different from... Well, so for example, Elixir LS, I know I've seen warnings and compiler errors. So how is it different? Only after you save. So the way Elixir LS works is there's a single VM that's running and that runs both your code and Elixir LS's code. And when you save, it kind of flips modes and has to take Elixir LS's project state, push it to the side, and then rebuild your project state, get mix set up for compiling your project and then run mix. And it has to do this with the gigantic file and a series of locks. And then it will compile things and then extract the warnings and errors from the compilation run, which is a completely non-trivial thing to do, by the way, and then emit them. So one thing to try is fire up Elixir LS and type an obvious compilation error and don't save. And it will just, nothing will happen. And then when you save, you'll see the, the compilation error come back at you. So the contrast is when you're typing in lexical, you just type. And every single time you type, a message goes to the server with the, depending on your editor, sometimes it's the character, sometimes it's like a couple characters or like half of a line. But whenever that, that message goes to the server and the document is updated, lexical will then attempt to compile it. And if there's an error, it will then emit warnings back at you. So is it this like you're 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 typing you're like io dot ins it's like error 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 <laughs> p e error error t error <laughs> open paren close paren no error like okay whew, we've made it exactly it's more like I think people are are that come from like IntelliJ are very used to this it, there is a, a debounce on it so it's not like every character that you do will will flash at you. It tends to take like a third to a tenth of a, a second. I think that's a, a good level to set that at, like set the debounce. But yeah, you type io.put and then open a paren, boom, it'll it'll have an error. So that's an interesting point though. Like it's not till you have the paren. So like when it's incomplete and you haven't quite finished it yet, that wouldn't compile, but like, does it give a warning at that point or? If you stop typing and so it will also give you suggestions. So the other thing that's important is if you type io.put, it'll 
pop out with a, a list of, of uh, completion options for you. So you can select those. I find that it doesn't hurt the uh, experience at all uh, to see these warnings and errors. They don't, they don't come in and they're not super obtrusive. It's a small little squiggly under your code. It's not like flashing something at you. Well, I, I've basically, I use Vim and I've basically turned off autocomplete because I have PTSD from just like bad autocompletes. Like I'm typing something and it's like, did you mean this JavaScript function? It's like, I'm not even in JavaScript. No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> and so I've just gone straight up. Like I'll read the docs before I turn on autocomplete to like help me when I type enum dot, you know, I'll just, I'd rather read the docs than than have autocomplete try and fail to give me good suggestions. So I'm I'm excited to to try this out and see. Well, I mean, my goal is to to have it not be annoying and have it be helpful as you type these things. And and it does sound to me if if it is giving you suggestions for a wrong language, there's something wrong with your setup. <laughs> it should be <laughs> that means it's going to the wrong language server. <laughs> yeah, that, this is a long time since I've turned on. It was probably even like early days of VS Code, where VS Code was mostly just for JavaScript when it came out and. Just, just constantly auto-completing with JavaScript suggestions, which were just completely unhelpful. I would agree. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, my, my career started in uh, server-side JavaScript back in 1997. It's amazing how little the language has changed since then, but it has changed a lot. But it's, it's crazy. Like, it's, it's such a weird paradigm. And the fact that it's a top-tier language now is mind-blowing to me. <laughs> You were identifying a few of the features, and I think we got a little sidetracked there. What are some of the other features that we can look forward to if we're trying this out? The cool things that I want to get done. Now we have co- we have some code actions as well, where it will actually offer suggestions. My favorite being, if the variable or function is unused, you can preface things with underscores. And it does this not by doing text replacement, but by actually understanding the code and looking at and managing the AST again, I think is, is a difference between other approaches. I've seen most languages don't have the really powerful syntax tooling that Elixir has. So leveraging this to do more and more detailed code actions is like one of our goals. We also have like formatting. This doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal, but Lexical's formatting is insanely fast compared to the other language servers. I used to have Emacs set up where it would actually run mix format on the file. And that takes an appreciable amount of time. Having it inside the language server just works stupidly fast. When you format a file, that's another opportunity to see if it has errors in it. So a lot of times the formatter will break because of errors. We actually found a way around that and the formatting just kind of works. And then errors get thrown into your code, which is kind of nice. That, that's one of those things that always bugs me. It's like, I can't format it because something's wrong. But if I could format it, it would probably help me find what was wrong. Yeah, that, again, this is this was out of the ergonomics. So for me, I'd be using another language server and type something, and then the editor just would feel dead. And, and sometimes this would happen immediately, or but other times you'd be kind of in the flow and not notice that the editor was dead. And then you realize, oh, I've committed a syntax error somewhere in this file. So then I'd have to run the Elixir formatter manually, see the error that it emitted, and then fix that error. And then the editor would regain its liveness. Lexical doesn't do that. Actually, we'll show you the error. This Again, this is the important thing about on-change code compilation. So you can get those error messages as you're writing it, and you don't have to wait for a save or anything. We also have 
go to definition, although we've kind of used Elixir Sense to give us that ability. Uh, Elixir Sense is a project that Elixir LS also uses. And we have this other thing, which I call the completely isolated build environment. So there's two things that make that work. One of them is having two VMs running. Lexical, the language server runs in one VM. And then your project that you're editing in Lexical runs in a separate VM. They are completely separate. They can they connect via distribution. And what that allows us to do is have this sort of project build environment and project environment with the project's dependencies and all of the project's knowledge there. And then we kind of sort of ask it questions from the language server. And then the project can admit stuff back to the language server. This means we don't have to do a lot of scaffolding when it comes time to build. The other thing that's interesting is Lexical goes a step beyond just having two separate environments and actually does this thing we call namespacing. Imagine we have a we have a module called JSON, right? Everybody uses JSON. It's the the JSON library. Well, what happens if you want to edit JSON JSON in Lexical when Lexical depends on JSON? It's global namespace, right? So if you start modifying JSON in Lexical or in other language servers, you will modify the code that you're working on. And then Lexical will start breaking if you've broken the code in some way. And this this is com- this, this was born out of wanting to develop Lexical inside of Lexical. Do you mean Lexical inside of Elixir LS or did you no, mean? No, no, I want I, I, I developed Lexical in using Lexical to develop itself. What was kind of funny is I'd be editing something. So in the project VM is called remote control. So I'd be editing for code in remote control. And then suddenly the server would just start dying because I'm literally writing, editing code that is important to the code that I'm editing, <laughs> or I'd be, be looking at the file that is being used by the language server and then ruining it some, in some way, and then it crashes, and that, or I've subtly changed the module, and then it all comes crashing down. So I thought, well, I really want to continue dogfooding lexical. I, I think that's the way I work as an engineer. I like to have the tools in my hands so I know if they feel right. So I thought for about for a while about how to do this, and I had this insane idea where what if we would just look at the compiled beam files and look at, at the abstract format and go through, and whenever there's a module that looks like it's one of our modules, what if we write the name of that module? What would happen? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did it work? It absolutely works. <laughs> so we actually go through and for all the app files that are created, and this works not just with lexical code, this works with any dependency that lexical has on other code. So lexical doesn't really use JSON. It uses LXJSON ah. because it goes through and rewrites it. So you can edit all of lexical's dependencies including lexical itself, you can edit them in your project VM. And this, so this only gets applied to your project VM. It's not, it's not applied like outside of it. You can go and edit that code and be guaranteed that it's not going to affect the language server. It only is the code that you're seeing in front of you. And since we've done namespacing, which has been a while now, although I just redid it last week because it could have been done better, but since we've done that, there have been no problems with editing lexical inside of lexical. And I think what this enables is lexical can use libraries as it wants. 
Elixir LS, for example, has to vendor all of the libraries that it uses, and it has vendored versions of JSON, has vend- and it uses Elixir Sense, so you can't edit Elixir Sense inside of Elixir LS. But and 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 honestly, like that, that's a very normal approach, but it is a pain point. So to have to vendor a library means you have to do work whenever that library releases a new version. So if JSON becomes twice as fast, work has to be done to bring the new stuff in. And I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of lazy. So I, I, I really not <laughs> want to do that work because it's also not very fun work. It's replacing names, which is what I'm doing anyway. I'm literally doing the same thing. I'm just doing it programmatically, which is... Automated, yes. <laughs> and, and I bet that this helps with uh, outside contributors as well. This is not the kind of yak shaving that they have to worry about. That's right. It's a good segue because I think that's another focus is that I want to make it much easier to contribute to lexical vis-a-vis other language servers. I want people to be able to come into the project, get a sense of where things go, how to build a feature and be able to do it quickly. So a good example is lexical uses a lot of protocols to control conversion from Elixir modes to LSP modes being Microsoft <laughs> and this get like, hold on to your hats for this. Uh, the, the language server protocol speaks UTF 16 instead of UTF eight. Yeah. Right. There's, there, there's windows for you. That's windows. I think it is. It is. <laughs> Thanks, it is Microsoft. It is definitely windows. They say it's not, they're like, well, Java does it too. And it's like, okay, great. Windows and Java do it. And like literally the rest of the world does UTF eight. And that's like, Java is like the the standard to follow, I guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, it, to be fair, I don't. Was UTF eight around when Java was developed? Unclear. It's right on the edge. It definitely wasn't as ubiquitous. But I think what's worse is the, the I sort of misspoke. The language server actually speaks UTF eight, but all of the character counts are in terms of UTF sixteen. So there are a lot of conversions between Elixir's native UTF eight and UTF sixteen. And this was the first thing I did uh, when I was contributing to Elixir LS is create fast ways to convert between UTF-8 and UTF-16 and vice versa, and sort of put them in very strategic places so that we can pull out the maximum amount of performance and the minimum amount of annoyance for people. Because what I didn't want is you would see in the code base people saying like, you know, character plus one, character minus one. And every time you see character plus one, that's a possible error because you cannot just add one to, to you, a UTF code point and just hope that it's correct. <laughs> because what if that is right before a smiley face in your code? Now, granted, code being code doesn't have a lot of, of, of UTF-8 uh, extended character set stuff. It's Oh, I, I have seen some emoji in code. Yes. You know, it's there. It's definitely there. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. And there's a lot of languages and a lot of people writing programming languages, but due to the nature of programming languages, it is the minority of, of lines of code, but it's still there. And anytime you see a plus one, it's probably a bug. Lexical does a lot of work with protocols to ensure that you never have to do that. So you can speak in terms of lexical documents, which are Elixir documents and modifications happen to like these Elixir documents. And you can operate on them as you would normally operate on normal text files. But when they get emitted by the language server, they go through a conversion process, which is transparent and very, very fast. And then 
all of the bugs that we will have will be in that conversion process and people who contribute to the project won't have to worry about them because that's, that's my responsibility. That's, that's lexical's responsibility. The responsibility of providing cool features is yours. And I try to not bog people down with the minutia of understanding UTF-8 to UTF-16 conversion, which is not the most fun thing. It's definitely like a nerd snipey project. You can definitely get interested in it. <laughs> and especially like making that happen really, really fast. Like I think Lexical discovered something that is a very, very fast way to do this that I don't think I've seen another language server do. So I can, I can totally spill the beans, but it's, it's really easy, but. <laughs> well, yeah, well now you gotta, now you gotta tell me. Sure. Okay. So there's two things that make it quick. First of all, the observation that most lines aren't actually UTF 16 or don't have UTF 16 characters. And I, I did some research about this and looked at a bunch of Elixir projects and virtually none of the lines had UTF 16 characters. It was like, 0.03% or something. So when we parse a document, we break it into lines, which are stored as tuples. So a document is stored as a tuple of records. And I use records for a lol speed. When we parse it, we actually can tell if there's an extended character, like something beyond normal ASCII on it. And we sort of flag that line as being, yes, there's, there's a fun character here. <laughs> so when it comes time to like change that, we can update that really easily. And we can also tell as we're updating it, if we're adding a UTF-8 extended character. When it comes time to emit these things, every line already knows if it needs any conversion or not, or if it needs a more complicated conversion. You're optimizing by doing some like pre-processing to see if anything needs to happen to it. Oh yeah. And then we do a really clever thing when it, when it does have UTF-16, we can go through and just iterate through the characters, do a little math on them, and then turn them into UTF-16 or UTF-8 code points very, very, very quickly. If you look at some of the commits on the Elixir LS, there's some benchmarks that are put in here, and it started off fast and then just got into the realm of, this is just stupidly, insanely fast, <laughs> and has has zero allocations, which is which is fantastic. So most of the code, it's still big big O of N, but it just spins through like a line and, and counts things, which is is really nice. When I started Lexical, I didn't know any of this stuff. I, I, I sort of knew what UTF-8 was, but I didn't know the implementation of it. And to compare it to like UTF-16 or UTF-32, it, it, it is kind of a work of, of elegant genius. It, it, re <laughs> it really is. It's, it's a very, very clever encoding. And I know hats off. It, it's also easy to work with, yeah. especially in Erlang and Elixir. My goodness. Working with binary formats in Erlang and Elixir with pattern matching is like, is yeah, mwah, good. <laughs> okay, so we, we've definitely like devolved into UTF-8 and, and character encodings and stuff like that and all this with LSP. So I get that like, yes, you had to do that because the language spec was UTF-16. But let's get back to the track of yeah, sorry. What, what Lexical is doing for you. And I'm glad to get a detail out of there, though, that it's fast, right? So there's multiple optimizations going on. You've got a separate VM there. You're namespacing things. It's easier to work in, easier to develop in, develop in and and you're optimizing character sets, which I didn't realize had to happen with the LSP. That's, that's new to me. Yeah. Furthermore, it does stuff with... So as the documents are communicated, there's two ways that documents can be synced. So you can have what's called full sync, which means every time I type a character in my editor, the entire file is sent to the language server. Or I can do like a kind of a diff, 
where it, it gives you these ranges of changes. Oh, no. And every time you type a character, just the range and the, the changed text is sent to the server. It's just a chunk of, yeah, a delta. Yeah, yeah. Are we about to talk about CRDTs? No, no, no. There's, there's, <laughs> oh, yeah. So the good news about this is it is it's a distributed system in name only. It runs on your computer. You know, all the lies engineers believe about networking, they're still true. Like... <laughs> There's no packets dropped on my computer. At least I hope not. But there's there's something seriously. I don't even think there's packets. It's, it's communicating over standard in, standard out. Like your guaranteed delivery messages get sent, guaranteed. We don't have to worry about CRDTs. There's only one person doing something at a time. It is a server, but it's the simplest type of server. So thankfully, you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. I had one more question on the type of feature that may or may not be present at this point. And so, like we're talking about compiler warnings and compiler errors. I know one of the things that you'll see in like Elixir LS is dialyzer feedback. Is that currently supported in Lexical or? It is not. No, dialyzer is, is work to be done. I have kind of a less love relationship with dialyzer. Who doesn't? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> it's one of those things where you wonder with the work being done on the static type system, if like, if that might just replace most people's use of where they're currently using dialyzer. So yeah, it might just not be a, a point that, well, that said the, the groundwork has been set for including dialyzer in lexical. You, if you look at the project page, there is a support dialyzer feedback and a lot of work in the Elixir community has gone towards taking what dialyzer outputs and taking that output and making it consumable by Elixir people. And actually, one I want to call out one of the people that did a lot of the work was uh, a member of the Discord. Uh, he's no longer with us, and he just did an amazing amount of work. And I just want to call out Andrew and say thank you for all your work. But since Lexical has the ability to namespace things, we can include these libraries in Lexical with no fear and then run them, much like we run the compiler. The only problem is it's kind of sucks up a core and then there's a number of an amount of integration work, which shouldn't be terrible. And then there's always the question of, is it worth it? Yes. I'm looking with great interest at the static typing that Jose is working on. And I know one other thing that's kind of interesting that I can't really get into, but I was assured that the one other thing was coming soon. And that was a while ago. So I don't know. <laughs> so there may be another option coming in the future. Yeah, there, there may be another option. That said, I'm mainly working on this mostly alone. I have another person who is named Scott Ming. He's been incredibly helpful. Uh, he's in China and he was working on this kind of with me. He was also didn't have a job for a while. So we've been working together and the lion's share of commits are from the two of us. So we really have to focus on where to put our energy. And I want to make sure that Lexical has this kind of top-notch tooling. So to give Dialyzer that amount of attention will take a lot of effort. And I think there are some things that I wanted to get done first. So I wanted to have better go-to definition, better find references, and find implementations. Although those are those are somewhat easier. Those turn out to be a bit of a can of worms because the, the step one is 
I have a cursor somewhere in a document. Now I need to understand what the cursor is on. And Elixir has, with 115, has given us some help in doing that. But the, the APIs that they've exposed are fairly low level. So a ton of work needs to go into that prior. And then when you talk about finding definitions in a project or like having this kind of deep project level insight, you then start to wonder about caching things and writing them to disk and making sure that those things are actually up to date. Because you certainly don't want to have to re-index the whole project every time a change happens. So I wanted to get the namespacing like perfect before we go to the next thing, but this is like the looming thing. So I've, I need to figure out dialyzer or deeper levels of project intelligence. Maybe we can do a poll on the, on the <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. Well, we're about out of time, but I wanted to touch on a couple things. I want to make sure people know how to get started with this. One is I don't just need to go to the GitHub page, right? Like I, I don't need to download anything. I just need to go to the extensions for my code editor. Well, eh. <laughs> depends. I think VS Code people have it the easiest. So VS Code people can look in their extensions, type in lexical, click a button, and it is done. Everybody else has to go and download the project. Their compilation instructions is actually a very easy project to compile. Just compile it. And then you tell your editor that it's actually Elixir LS. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So my, my editor, for example, is it's a single line change to the configuration. It's like your Elixir LS executable is here and that's it. And to be honest, I already had that because I was living off the head of Elixir LS for a very long time and continued to do that. So that, that was already in my, my package. I will need to publish, you know, packages for Emacs. There's instructions on Lexical's GitHub page about how to get it and started with, started with NVim as well. So all the major editors are covered and it's a couple lines of change in a, in a very, very fast download. Now I, I do want to move towards something where it's more automatic. But namespacing makes that hard with a lot of the built-in tooling. So we could say, hey, we can do a mix install for you. That'll be fine. But you do not have a namespace build. Lexical will work without namespacing. And honestly, most people don't really need it because most people aren't developing like a project that Lexical uses or Lexical itself. But it does give you a nice buffer for catching problems. I did want to include it. It doesn't cost anything, but it does interfere with, with uh, Elixir's built-in tooling and Erlang's built-in tooling. So check out the page for your particular editor to see what you need to do. Uh, and you mentioned that you wanted this to be good for contributors. Is there a place where people can step in and help out? It's, you mentioned like it's just you and one other person right now that have been the main forces behind this. How should people get in touch with you if they want to contribute? We have a GitHub page. It's lexical-lsp slash lexical on GitHub. We have tasks that are marked as easy. And there's some that are truly, truly easy tasks that will help you get started. And they actually, what's, what's neat is they're easy tasks, but they are actually kind of impressive. If you were to do them, you'll, you'll actually contribute a big feature all at once with maybe 15 lines of code. And I'm there. I will help. I will explain things. My next stage in the documentation is how do we contribute a thing and sort of walk you through. Finally, there's a lot of other stuff. Like there is a plugin architecture for Lexical where you can write plugins that aren't part of the Lexical project that are actually in separate projects that enhance the ability of Lexical to do something. For example, right now we have the ability to analyze 
a project at certain places and then a document when it gets saved, for example. And so putting Credo in here, the Credo, the lexical Credo plugin, I think is like 75, 80 lines of code. Mm. That's another way where you can enhance Lexical's abilities without actually being inside the Lexical project. There's a shared library you can depend upon for your plugin projects. The only difference then is that people that want to use your project would then need to have a dev dependency against it. But once that happens, you get your dependencies. Lexical detects that there's a plugin installed and then you're, it's ready to go and you're automatically included. So there's a couple of different ways. Nice. Last question of, for you, Steve, uh, is is that you know there there are three LSPs that I'm aware of. There's obviously LX or LS. There's yours, you know, that we're talking about. But there's also another one that's kind of up and coming as well by Mitch Hanberg. Next LS, are you guys working together? Are you guys aware of each other? What is there any relationship there? The answer, the short answer is no. I'm aware of of those projects. I've been following them and would say like been very impressed with the the code quality that he has. He's spent a lot of time dividing things into really solid pieces with different libraries that do different things. Lexical has a similar idea, but it's in an umbrella project, which is funny considering my longstanding dislike of umbrella projects, <laughs> but I needed the apps. His projects look great, but there, there are some philosophical differences. I think the philosophical difference, the main one is NextLS is built off of Gen LSP. And the idea is you run a bunch of different language servers, each one doing a very specific task. For example, Credo is its own language server. Lexical, on the other hand, has the idea of plugins where Credo is not its own language server. It's a plugin that a Lexical knows about that can then feed it data and then emit things through a single source. And I think that that will be easier to, for people to configure and not worry about. Also, it's easier for people to include and exclude features without having to do editor configuration. But I've, in general, I have been looking at the projects. I've been very impressed. We do a lot of things in very, very similar ways. They have a rich data model, as does Lexical. They have different applications, as does Lexical. You know, I think they, they do full sync for documents. We do, we do partial sync, but they could add that. Like, there's a lot of work to do there, and it's much easier not to do it. But I've, I've just been really impressed with that, that project as well. I haven't used it mainly because I've been dog fooding lexical over the last year and I kind of like it. Like as you should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's my thing and it's starting to feel good in my hands, but yeah, it's a super, super solid project. Really, really excited to see a lot of effort in the space. I think we need to have like a meeting of the three minds where we, we talk about like Elixir in general. And I know Jose <laughs> has actually mentioned this where he wants the, the three of us to sit down and talk about what Elixir, the language can do for language servers. You know, he's been actually doing some work for us in Elixir 115 and beyond. Mm. And one of the things Lexical does is it pulls in stuff from head on Elixir right now to give us like better diagnostics and, and quicker diagnostics. And so we'll continue to do that. I'm really excited about the space though. It really is an exciting time. Like we went from having nothing in the beginning until someone created the first iteration of something that could be used I think it's just grown and it's a testament to the people that are in the space who care about the tooling and like people like yourself who are like, this is important. And I have the ability to take some time to just focus on this and make that a little passion project. And I think it's great. And I love it. I think the whole community is better for it. Yeah, thanks. Elixir has given me a lot over the last decade. And I really did want to give something back to the community. And I thought this was a good, good place to start. And tooling is important. 
Elixir knows this and it always has. Like Elixir's tooling has always been super good. And I hope that this helps. Well, if people want to get in touch with you either about the project or just with questions or, or just want to follow you online, where should they go to do that? <laughs> yeah, I maintain a, a relatively low profile online. I'm not on Facebook. I never check my Twitter. <laughs> I have my GitHub. You know, I let that speak. I, I, I don't, I'm not one of these people that broadcast a lot. I probably should for lexicals for it, its benefit, but I'm a moderator on the Discord channel. So if you go on Elixir Discord, uh, which is linked to off the, the website, I'm one of the supervisors there. We call it supervisors because of reasons. So I'm Ice Cream Cone there and I'm going on, on GitHub. I'm Ice Cream Cone on Twitter, although like if you like screaming in the void, go, go, go get that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also on the Elixir Slack, so you can ping me there too. I, I do have Slack running, but you know, Discord's my, my main place. Well, thank you, Steve, for taking some time to talk with us and, and get us caught up on this project that really, I mean, it's kind of been silent running, in, at least in terms of my awareness. We start hearing about a little bit, talking about lexical and then start checking it out. It's like, wow, there's like 62 releases on this GitHub oh. project. It's... <laughs> well, that was a bit of a bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had, I had a, very, a very helpful contributor. Every time there was a commit, we'd do a release. <laughs> so, nice. yeah. I guess my point is, it's been a project that's been around for a, a longer than we may have realized. There's been more thought and more effort put into this than is necessarily visible on the surface. So I am certainly interested in digging deeper and spending some more time playing with this. And I'm grateful for your efforts and everything that you've put into it. Oh, thanks a lot. And yeah, if anyone wants to try, just try, try it and have fun. File bugs. We love bugs. Hopefully you'll find that it's a, a boon to your productivity and it's helpful. That's all I want. <laughs> awesome. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.